Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right, let's, um, let's get into this. Uh, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 35 to 42. And I hope you know I was just kidding before when I said I don't really care what's going on in your house. <laughs> I do. It's just really sweet here. <laughs> I care very much. I'm only kidding. It was like half the people just left. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I want to speak into Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 42. I'm going to share for a few minutes. I, I, I feel like, to be honest, this is going to be a little bit different than the last few weeks. I feel like we've, been got, we've gotten into some really um, heavy discussions and talking about the soul and being troubled, the, the soul that can be troubled, and um, speaking a lot about hope. I just felt to come out of that kind of uh, rhythm for, for this one Sunday. There was something that God had kind of highlighted a few weeks back to me, and I just spent time this week really diving into it, and I feel like it's an appropriate time to, to share it. I feel like today's going to be a really, really practical message, um, which I sometimes struggle with giving because I'm just like, just Jesus, <laughs> but you know, how does that look, and how do you uh, navigate through life and make wise choices? And so I want to I wanna share something I think is really, really important. Um, I feel like there's a unique grace in this season to make changes in our life. And the, the, the illustration, if I could use, use this, a sports illustration, is um, I played sports, and especially when you play at high levels, when you're in-game, it can be really intense. Uh, there's a lot happening, and good coaches can make in-game ad- adjustments, certainly, but without a doubt, um, there's just so much happening, it's hard to make serious adjustments. The best time is always at halftime. The best time is when things just pause for a moment, where you can really collectively hear what the coach is saying, respond, and make significant shifts to what you're doing. And I share that because I feel like there's, there's almost this pause on life right now in some ways. And I really feel like there is a grace right now for us to, to, to just look at our lives, to stop and, uh, and just reevaluate what we're going after, what we pursue, how we're living our lives, and really just define, redefine what are the metrics of success. And I just, I feel a, a caution in my own life that as we're uh, probably on the downhill of approaching, you know, back to some type of normal normalcy that we don't just rush back into the way we've done things, but to say, wait a minute, it's kind of what I just shared of hearing his voice and saying, what needs to st- like stay permanently off of my life as I enter back into, uh, into the things I, I, I once was doing. And, and I'm sharing this because I, I feel that um, our culture, let me speak from a cultural standpoint. I feel that that we are so, we live such overloaded, overstressed, overworked, overscheduled lives. And moments like this, it's funny, I feel like moments like this actually expose that. And there's a part of us, obviously, not being insensitive to real pain and what's happening, but there's a part of us that we almost, it's, it's like it's a, it's a enjoy the rest that takes place. Um, if I could illustrate it this way, yesterday it snowed which is just crazy. It snowed in May. But um, it just got me thinking how in snowstorms, um, in snowstorms, when, when not obviously days after when things are just like the snow gets disgusting and then you got to shovel, that stuff's never fun. But when it first snows, <laughs> I don't care how old you are, there is something about us that loves when everything shuts down. 
And uh, not just like just stores, business work, kids are home. And if it's severe enough, I mean, even like electricity goes out and we've got to get flashlights. And I remember being younger. Those are some of my greatest memories of making tents and spending time doing board games. And I feel like I, even as a parent, there's something inside of you that's just like, I wish this could go on just a little bit longer. And certainly I'm not against us, you know, just, you know, working hard and things like that. But I feel like that exposes that deep down inside of us, there's something that, that we like, that we're craving this rest, this simplicity. There's something that like, that provides a necessary break from just the hustle of life that we live in this culture. And I, I again, I really believe that we are in an over-scheduled, overloaded, overworked culture. I believe that when we look around, we have information overload, we have access to so much information uh, at any time of the day. We have debt overload. We have choice overload. Um, it's funny. I, I actually appreciate little things like this, but there was a statistic that said in the 1980s, the average uh, grocery store, the grocery store, they, they averaged about eight to 10,000 decisions, uh, choices that you can make. Now in, uh, in the time that we live in, it's about 30,000 decisions. It's almost tripled. It's just an all in life See, there's this, there's this, uh, I feel like there's this, um, this trap in our culture that more and bigger is always better. And what we find out though is that every, all systems have limitations. And when you exceed the limitation of a system, what happens? It crashes. And, and I, I feel like what we're finding is that our, that humans have, have limitations to their systems. There is just so much man can emotionally engage in, mentally like engage in, physically. It's just so far that he can keep going. And I feel like with the way our culture operates, with all the advancements we have made, one of the things that's happening is that this progress is on collision course with the limitation of man. We can stay plugged in 24-7 with hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And what we're finding is that we actually, we can't keep this up. And people are literally like, it's just, it's too much. And they're just crashing, literally crashing anxiety and depression and need pills just to, just to deal with what is happening in their life. And so I feel like there is this, this pain that has come through the progress. And I, I, I this is, I want to address this from a personal wholeness standpoint, but also what I'm, we're going to look at in just a second with this scripture is, if we don't learn to restructure our lives and live from four principles we're gonna talk about, simplicity, contentment, rest, and balance. If we do not learn to incorporate these principles in our life, we live overextended, overscheduled lives. And what happens is not only personally do we suffer, but it robs us of being effective advancers of the kingdom of God. And so there's actually an expression of humility to live with less so that we are more available for the needs around us. And that's kind of the direction I want to to uh, uh, go this morning, and this is what I want to look at. So again, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. I mean, I really don't have a title if you want overcoming overload or resetting, but uh, I do believe that this is really important. Um, again, I would normally bypass things like this, and I have a tendency to be actually, I could get really emotional and healthy. So this is really important. I want you to hear this portion of scripture. And again, we're going to look at this through the lens of how living a life of balance, rest, simplicity actually allows us to be more effective for God's work. And I want you to see this. Verse 35, this is speaking about Jesus going to Jerusalem. It says, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That's really important. I'm going to come back to that. 
Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So it means he was intending to go somewhere else. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40, and Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he, when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. So there's, I shared this entire scripture, but there's really just one principle that I want to speak into uh, that will lead us in our, in our discussion this morning. And that is the fact that Jesus performs this miracle as he's passing by. He's actually intending to go to Jerusalem. That's what's on his schedule. But he is confronted with a need and he responds to that need as he's on his way. And as I began to think about the life of Jesus, I thought, wow, this is amazing. So much of Jesus's ministry is actually while he's traveling, moving and passing by to other places. I want you to just follow me for a moment because you need to hear this and then you'll see the point I'm trying to make. In the very next chapter in Luke 19, it says that Jesus, he says he enters Jerusalem and uh, Jericho and was passing through. So he had no intention. This is what, this was not on his set calendar to do anything here, if you will. He was just passing through to Jerusalem, but he meets a man by the name of Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who's up in a tree because he was small in stature. And ultimately Jesus sees him, engages with him and actually stops and has a meal with him. Like everything changes when he sees Zacchaeus, right? In Luke 8, it's one of the more vivid examples of this. Jesus is approached by the man by the name of uh, uh, Jairus and his daughter is sick on the brink of death. And Jesus responds, said, I'll go to your house to pray for her. But along the way, Jesus is interrupted by a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus responds to that need as he was traveling somewhere else. In John chapter four, one of the most clear examples of this is Jesus heading from Judea to Galilee. And as he's traveling through, he goes through Samaria and encounters a woman at the well known as a Samaritan woman. And Jesus has one of the most glorious encounters with this woman as he's traveling. And you say, what in the world, what does this have to do with anything? The point is, is that in verse 40 of the scripture I read, it says that Jesus stopped and, and responded to the need of this blind man as he was going somewhere else. There's something in the life of Jesus where he was available and present for needs that, that met him as he was journeying through life. Jesus was able to respond to divine interruptions by the Father. It seems that he's open and aware of the voice of the Father. And as he's moving places, even though he's scheduled to go to different places, as ministry needs arise, he's able to be available, present in the moment to respond to that. And I believe it's because Jesus intentionally lives a life of simplicity he lives a life of rest. He lives a life of balance and contentment. And as a result, he has an awareness of the needs around him and he can respond and give something. See, I think God has, has uh, um, so much ministry set up for us like he did for Jesus. He has so much ministry like we see in the, in the book of Acts where the disciples, it feels like everywhere they go, ministry just pops up. And I'm saying, what, what, I don't understand. Like, I feel like I don't see these things. And certainly there are many contributing factors. I understand that, but I just felt like in our culture, because we live such overloaded, overscheduled lives, 
that these issues are actually all around us. We just can't see them because we're so caught up in our own agenda that we move right by them. And even if we could see it, we have nothing of substance to offer because we're operating on such burnout. We operate with such limited rest. We haven't learned how to sit with him and live from simplicity so that when we speak, we can actually have life to offer someone. There's just no substance to offer. Or what I find in my life is that I see the needs that God has put before me, but I actually get offended by his divine interruptions. Rather than rejoicing that he's inviting me to participate in extending his kingdom, that interruption is exposing my unhealthiness. And when you, listen, when you are operating with very little, you start to get defensive. And so as you're walking around to targets and stores and going to work, as you're at the toll booth, I believe there's just ministry everywhere for us, like Jesus. But we often miss it because we're so overscheduled because we've fallen into this, we're drinking the Kool-Aid that more is better, that we're actually operating under principles of the world rather than kingdom principles. Jesus lives a simple life, a life of rest, not just to be countercultural, though it is. I believe it was an expression of humility. I believe he intentionally, think about it, he's the son of man. Jesus could live any way he'd want. He could, being fully man, fully God, he could have taken on all of the stresses of life and just kept going, going, going. He intentionally lives a very simple, restful life. If you see his rhythms, how he comes away with the Father, so that he can be more available for the needs when they come up. And I, I believe God is inviting us in this season before we jump back into the old way of living to stop for a moment and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is what I was pursuing, is the way I was living, I mean, the way I was defining success, is that really in line with kingdom principles? Like, did I really make room for God to move in my life? What if, what if, what if the most important thing God has for you on any given day is not even on your set agenda? If you actually look at the life of Jesus, that's, that's what you see. He's, I'm going to Jerusalem. And he has an encounter with a blind man. I'm moving here. I'm going to Galilee. He has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. I mean, can you imagine Jesus just, he's not defined by a clock. The clock and Christ are often enemies. I, I, I think that's really, really important that Jesus is operating by, by different principles. Let, let me ask you this question. This is something the Lord is asking me. Is my life, am I interruptible? It is, do I have room in my life for non-programmed things? Do I have room in my life for divine interruptions? Do I have room in my, is the way I'm living so in line with kingdom principles, it's, it's an act of humility to live simple, restful, content, so that I have more to do for others. Like, what if I lived with less financially so I had more to give to others? Some of the times we get offended when someone asks to be generous because we're living past our means. What if we actually live with less and, and live simple and, and live this way so that we could in the moment be ready for God's divine interruptions and, and, be, and, and address it with a whole heart? Like live from rest, live physically, take care of ourselves so that when we do respond, man, we have life to offer to people. I believe God, I believe God exalts availability over schedulability. In fact, I, I believe that, that uh, give, give whatever... Uh, number you want, I just threw this out there, but that use, usefulness is nine-tenths availability. It's really about being available. And most of the time, if I'm honest, I say, man, I don't see the Lord working like I do in Acts. I don't see Jesus. I mean, everywhere he goes, ministry's there. And you know what it is? The Lord has to say, Andrew, you, you, your eyes are not open. 
You're too consumed with your own life. You, you need to learn to live according to different precepts. That's the kingdom values. And if you do, you will have room in your life for divine detours. Like there's a part of me that, that wants, and I understand that there are responsibilities. I'm not saying we don't just do, do whatever, but I'm really concerned. Like, what do I need to change in my life so when I go back, if I go to the gas station and the Lord says right here, like be with this person, ride with them to the store. Like I can say, yeah, I can change that. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but in general, like I wanna live a life that allows for ministry to explode like that. In fact, I think we'll be most fulfilled when we do that. As I said before, Jesus wasn't dominated by a clock. The clock and Christ are often not friends. The way Jesus lives confronts our Western culture. There, we are, have this spirit of busyness, rushing more, bigger, better. And then I look at Christ and I just see something so counter to that. I said, again, I see him moving to the rhythms of grace and the Father's voice. He's so surrendered and yielded to the Father. He says, my time is not my own. My schedule's not my own. And he's able to just redirect his entire day, even though he's traveling somewhere, to meet whatever God puts in front of his path. Can you imagine Jesus sitting in the temple service if they had a clock or wristwatch? Can you imagine Jesus saying, man, the worship is going a little bit too long? <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the rabbi, he's just speaking a little bit too long. Can you imagine if Jesus had access to a wristwatch or a pocket calendar? Do you think when he comes up to the blind man and the blind man says, son of David, have mercy on me. He said, my friend, I've got a banquet in Nazareth. I cannot deal with you right now. <laughs> like the, the Samaritan woman, think about lives that were changed and what happened because Jesus humbled himself to live with less so that he could be available and present in those moments. I think this is, it's, it's convicting, I know, in my life, and, but it's, it's something beautiful. Like, I, I want to grow in this. I was, I was looking at the life of Jesus, and I realized something, and this is really important. If you, for every Christian, but if you aspire to be a leader, you, you need to grab a hold of this. Jesus didn't do event ministry. He did life ministry. Jesus, see, we're so overscheduled, we have to schedule ministry in. And so what happens is the only time I ever think about ministry is when it's on the calendar. When I look at the life of Jesus, I see a lifestyle of ministry. I see a man who lives on mission. I see a man and the disciples who wherever they go, it becomes their mission field. They don't have to wait for it to be scheduled in because they've scheduled less so that that's their primary purpose for living. No matter who you are, this isn't for someone in the, in the fivefold of the actual church. It's for anyone. God calls us not just for personal wholeness, I pray the spirit would address you and, and do that in your own life today, but from the context of being effective advancers of God's kingdom. We lose desire for others when we are overwhelmed with our own agenda. See, we're called to be beacons of hope, right? We're, we're called to, I mean, think about, uh, be agents of reconciliation, uh, I mean, to, to declare the peace of God. I mean, we are called to be givers of life. And yet, if we're really honest, most of the time, I'm just trying to survive my suffocating schedule. <laughs> How counter is that to what we're actually called to live like? And when you fall into a survival mode, you it sucks the strength out of service. So when we live a life that pushes past our means financially, physically, emotionally, mentally, we are so tapped and strained that I have nothing to give, no strength for service. I was going through some scriptures and this just really caught my attention. Jesus, he teaches some really interesting principles. He says, uh, there was a law in the, in the 
uh, under the Roman government that says a Roman officer could come up to a Jew and he could say, carry my bags. And the Jew would have to carry the bags up to a mile. And Jesus says something crazy. He says, guys, if someone asks you to carry the bag a mile, he says, go two miles. How in the world can I walk a second mile if I don't have the strength to even go the first mile? How can I actually extend and really live that type of radical generosity when I've already maxed myself out because the way I live a life of just abundance in an unhealthy way? Jesus, through the apostle Paul, tells us to carry each other's burdens. How in the world can I carry your burdens if I can't even handle my own burdens because I'm so overburdened by the way that I live? You know what? Not only will I not be able to carry your burdens, I will be offended by the thought of having to carry your burdens. I'll be offended by God and I'll be offended at you because again, I have nothing to offer. It actually, it, it irritates me, the thought that I even have to do that because we're operating on empty. In Deuteronomy 11, 19, this is, this is really important for parents. It talks about how parents are to teach their children at all times. It says, when you rise, when you go to bed, when you walk, when you sit, whatever you do, it says continually invest and pour into your children. How can I do that? Think about it. And I'm being real. And I get, I, I understand that there's, um, you know, I, I understand there's some crazy days. Now we have three kids. I know it's nuts. But I really think I still have way too much of my schedule because most of the time my day is guys get in the car, get here, get there. I live such a chaotic life and we're so used to it in, in, in our culture it's so counter to what actually we're called by according to the kingdom. What would it look like? What would I have to get rid of so that when I travel all day with my kids in this season right now, I could be so intentional to say, you see that? That's a picture of God right there as a father. And, or, or with my little daughter, say, you see that? that that's, that's what a woman of God looks like. All day you're investing and pouring in because you could be so attentive and available to them because you're not overwhelmed by the way that you are living. And so I believe that this is really a season for us. It's an invitation to look at our life and to make some serious shifts as Christians that go countercultural to, uh, to the, the culture that we live in America. So I hope, um, I hope that makes sense to you. So here's what I want to do to kind of just close this out in uh, a, f- a few things here. I want to address four principles because right now you may be like, okay, this is great. I, I, I identify with that. One, I want personal wholeness. Two, yeah, I want to I wanna live differently so that I can really you know, engage in lifestyle of ministry. But what do I do? And this is where I think we're going to get really practical. I want to give you four principles. I'm not going to... Um, I could have fleshed these out into individual messages, each one. I'm not going to do that. Um, I didn't feel led to do that. So I'm not going to spend a great deal on each one. However, um, I encourage you, if you feel like something just connects with you when I speak over one of these, go and study these biblical principles. Maybe it's all four of them. Dig deep. Ask the Lord, how can you practically apply these things into your life? So here's the first thing. I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter four, verses 11 to 12. And we're gonna look at health through contentment. It is really so weird without having you guys here. <laughs> Normally in moments like that, there's like a movement response. <laughs> oh man, I really miss being with you guys. There it is. I've got a few here that are just ruffling their Bibles right now. All right, Philippians chapter four, verses 11 to 12. Here's the first of four principles. Write these down. Health through contentment. Be honest, when's the last time you heard a message on being content? I have never heard a sermon on contentment. And I was actually 
you know, tempted to make this its own thing, but again, I didn't feel like to, but contentment is all throughout the scriptures. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is, is when a, a position where you want to please God. Contentment is where you know that God is good, and so you receive whatever he gives you as good, and therefore, two of those together, you can really please God when you have that type of posture. But let me define it this way. Health through contentment. Contentment is a state of peaceful satisfaction. It's really where you are freed from that grip of needing more. And so what this does is when you enter into the state of peaceful satisfaction with what you have, it leads to freedom, gratitude, which is so important, rest. When you are content, it's this posture where, what I just said, you trust in God's goodness. Therefore, whatever you have received from his hand, it must be good, the amount that you have. And so you can be grateful for what you have. Jesus, Jesus, when he fed the 5,000, there's something really important that I, I've uh, kind of read over before. I've seen it, but I, I just, I feel like it really came alive. It's just, he takes the five loaves and two fish, and what does he do? He gives thanks. All he has is five loaves and two fish, but he gives thanks for the little that he has. See, one of the misunderstandings with contentment is that God does not desire to use you and increase your influence. That's, that's a false, like, humility. That's a false idea of contentment. What, what it is is you are detached from losing your peace over those things. You're not controlled by those things. And actually what you'll find is when you learn to be content with little, when you learn to give thanks, God will then often bring increase. He, he gives thanks for the five loaves and two fish, and guess what happens? Multiplication comes into his life. When we learn to actually truly be content, not with an ulterior motive so I can get more, but really say, Lord, if this is all I have, this is what my life, I thank you, God, for what I have. That's often when God will give more. I think he desires to use us and put us in place of influence. It's, and it's more than just like he's just trying to be like a tough dad. He's a loving dad. He protects us. Because if he does, if he does not first sever our hearts from those things and make sure that we are content without it, that thing will kill us once we have it. And so when we learn to give thanks for the little that we have, then God says, okay, now I can entrust you with giving more, with giving you more. So the opposite of being content is discontent, which is basically it suffocates your freedom. You, you, you come in a, to a bondage to your desires. It poisons your relationships. This is so big. When you live a life that's discontent, you often fall into the trap of jealousy. You have this secret competition with people that a lot of times they're not even aware of, but you are so insecure and you're so trying to measure yourself by how you stack up to them that there's jealousy and envy and you fall into this comparative trap. And learning to be content actually frees you. Contentment actually allows you to rejoice for other people's victories, which is such a biblical thing. Like I think about the prodigal son when he returned home the elder brother couldn't rejoice over the grace that was shown in his life because it, it just confronted his own insecurities. When we're secure in the Father's love, we can rejoice over other people being elevated and promoted because we're secure in who God has made us. One of the most deadliest expressions in our vocabulary, I believe, is if only. <laughs> if only I looked like him, if only I looked like her, if only I had this body. I mean, if only I had Pastor Andrew's hair. <laughs> No, but if, if only, right, if only I had this, if only I had that. And what happens is we fall into this, we fall into that cycle of just trying to get whatever comes after, if only. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the coffer can fill, right? The treasure chest can fill with treasures, but the soul empties. This is the idea of what does a man profit if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? 
I believe this is, this is bigger than just a salvation issue. Like you can be born again, child of God, but have things filing upon your soul where you're just dead and empty because you, you're not content. And so you're just trying to like constantly grasp for other things. I believe contentment means that we need to uh, develop a theology of enough. <laughs> it's like, uh, we don't need any more. There's... Um, there was a famous uh, writer and pretty well-known theologian, G.K. Chesterton. This is words of, I think, profound wisdom. He said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. I said, man, that's, that's really, really good. Um, hopefully you got that one. All right, so let's look at Philippians 4, 11 to 12. It says this, Paul, now keep in mind, Paul is in jail. I'm just gonna share this real quick. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned, listen, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. There's two important words I just wanna highlight before we close this out on this point. Paul says, I have learned and he says secret. So contentment has to be learned. This is a process of maturity. It takes time. You have to learn this. And it's not just through study. Like you can't study contentment. You actually have to experience it. And that's what Paul, Paul's in jail. Like he's experiencing something where he's actually able to say, I, I've learned contentment. And he uses, a, this is such an interesting word. I never saw it like this. He said, I've learned the secret of really being content. Contentment is a secret. In other words, it's not that it's concealed to a few people. That's not what he means. It means it's not what you would think it would be. What you think would satisfy you doesn't really satisfy you. What you think like you would need or not need to, have, to be content, he says, nah, I've learned the secret of contentment. It's not a matter of circumstances. It's a disposition of your heart. And what he's really realized is Paul had to learn this through obedience. As he obeyed the Lord and was willing to relinquish things or go wherever God had him, he found himself in jail, but he realized when I'm in the will of God, no matter what goes on around me, I am content because I'm walking with him. And the more you learn to obey God and see that he's good, you'll see that his goodness is it's irrelevant to what happens outwardly. A lot of times it's paired together and that's awesome, but even if it's not, you'll still say there's peace within my heart. So the last thing I'll say in this is, um, something practical is set standards for contentment in your life based on the scriptures, not on culture. In other words, let the scriptures give you metrics for success. A lot of times you'll find it's not even about achievements. It's actually more about character in the scriptures. That's usually what's emphasized more than anything. If you actually live a life of godliness and holiness and righteousness and like joy, these things, you will actually find that you are content in your heart, irrelevant of any possessions. So here's, here's the next thing. Point number two is health through simplicity. So I, this is important. I think there's some overlap with contentment, but there's some differences here. Health through simplicity. Many fantasize about just getting up, leaving their jobs and never coming back. Just getting up and going to some remote island or some uh, remote cabin and just saying, man, I want to get away from everything. And, and it has nothing to do, I think, with the scenery. It's more to do with, they wanna come out of the weight of the pressure, what they feel in this life. And a lot of people go for that. And here, here's the idea is that the solution to that life is not to escape, it's to transcend by living a life of simplicity. 
The trap, as I've said before, is that more is always better. Here's the issue. Again, I'm getting just super practical so you can put this in your life. The more you have, the more you have to maintain. The more you have to pay for. The more you have to be you know, thinking of and stewarding. And what you find is, again, there's just a point where you cannot steward or take care of that many things. It actually begins to have a reverse effect on your life. A hundred years ago, if you would ask people what's most important in your life, you'd have heard things like, well, I want education. I want like shelter, especially in the winter. I want a consistent food supply. We have all of those things and so far beyond. What we're finding out is that that equation, it's breaking down. The idea of, of education plus health or, or, or um, yeah, health plus, plus food uh, plus affluence is not automatically equating to some utopia. There's something that we're missing. The more that we're acquiring, we're actually finding that there's, there's more we have to take care of and we just can handle so much. I think the church can fall into this trap. I think we can, I th- I, honestly, I think we're in an age of complexity in the church where we have so many pathways, programs, and processes to put people through that we lead them just about everywhere except the person of Jesus. And so what happens is our schedules are busier than ever, but our hearts are still restless because Jesus is life. And so as a, this is not just individually, but as a church, we need to simplify things so that we can actually have the abundant life. Simplicity means to unclutter and strip down to necessities. So the more you can unclutter in your life, the less stress and worry, because you don't have to take care of these things anymore. And contrary to what people think, you know, I think of Simple Lives, I think of the Amish. <laughs> we went there a few years ago. Uh, you know, people make comments. Uh, I, honestly, I think there's, I really think there's something to that. I'm not saying we need to do that, but there is, uh, there's something to a life of simplicity. And when, we, when I visited them for actually Caesar's uh, birthday, his 30th birthday, he's now 55, but... Uh, <laughs> For his birthday, man, they were such a joy on, in their lives. It was so simple. And contrary to what people think, simplicity does not mean easy. A simple life does not mean ignorant or does not mean boring. In fact, this is like, I was reading some things by Christian doctors. They're finding that the simpler you live, the more creative you can actually be because you are less bogged down in your mind with trying to wrap your mind around all the things you have to do, all the details. The more simple you live, the more authentic you can be the more focused you can be on the actual purposes that God has for you. So consider every day, consider your life. What are the things that are taking time? Unnecessary possessions are, divine, are stealers of divine time. So if you have things that you can say, I don't need this, like it's just taking away from actually being able to engage in service and obedience and loving God rightly, then get rid of it. And the last thing in this is, I would say one of the greatest challenges to living a life of simplicity is you will have to resist the influence of our culture, which will deem you insignificant if you don't fall into, into line with what they, again, deem as successful. But at the end of the day, you'll have to say, what am I really living for? Who am I living to please? Is it God? You know, what's more important, the way they see me or actually my, my personal health and my obedience to the Lord? All right, two more things. I'll go quicker and we'll finish out. Health through balance. So we did contentment, we did simplicity. Now we have health through balance. Oh, I hate this word. <laughs> and that just might be me. I think Americans and Andrew loves to hear excellence. Don't tell me about balance. I love to put all of my eggs in one basket and go for it. But here's the problem. That actually leads to negative excellence because all the other areas of my life begin to fall apart. And I have a real issue with this where I'll excel so far in one area of my life 
but then I, I, uh, I don't take care of other things at home and the relationships with my wife or my kids. And then I'll, I'll switch and put all my eggs in that basket and then work begins to fall apart. There, there's the point of excellence is not that you don't give your best effort. You need to know when to s- shut it down and say, could I go even further? Yes, I've given all I have and now I've got to give my attention and my, my, uh, you know, my, my, my heart to other things. Imagine this with, with uh, boundaries. Imagine you were a publisher and imagine that you were receiving a book and someone gave you a book and imagine that they did not use margins. <laughs> imagine what that might look like. Crammed writing, top down, left to right, it'd be all over the place. It would be aesthetically displeasing and chaotic. But that's how a lot of us live. Because without setting boundaries and having that necessary gap in our life, we are just all over the place. I think as Christians, one of the reasons we really struggle with living a life of balance is it's hard to navigate because we have the spirit of God in us. And so we, we know that we're flesh still, but we have the spirit of God. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we take this as thinking that this means we can be supermen, <laughs> that there's, we don't need to take time to stop. We can just go, 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 go. But that scripture is not negating life balance. Uh, it's, it's really about, again, leaning into Lord and, and trusting in him. But, but we all have limitations. God put limitations in our life and it's a, healthy, it's a healthy thing. And so if you're gonna live a life of balance, have to create healthy boundaries in your life. Boundaries are these perimeters that you put around your personal and private space so that the world does not come in uninvited. It's really important. This is not selfishness, this is self-care. It's not weakness, it's actually a sign of maturity. You're actually saying, I'm gonna steward the limited time, energy, finances I have so that I can be more fruitful for God. And so there's just times where I just cannot do it, right? So because of this, you need to learn, this is, everyone's gotta say this from home, you need to learn to say no. (laughs) Learn to say no, so hard for me. This is not just a good idea, this is actually a mathematical necessity. If you have 15 good things on your schedule but can only do 10, it means you're gonna have to say no five times. If you don't, and I've been there, stay in that cycle long enough and you will break down in every way. You will become so just disinterested with life because you're just worn out. And so I would uh, leave you with this on, on this point. It's really important that you have people around you that honor your boundaries. And I think this is really crucial for everyone listening. Surround yourself with people who love your no as much as they love your yes. Really important, people that understand when you say no, it's not because you're trying to be ruder and sensitive, but you're actually trying to protect what you have to be more fruitful for God's purpose in your life. And so here's the last thing, health through rest. We need physical rest. We need emotional rest. We need spiritual rest every single day. We need to take a Sabbath. The Sabbath, we we like to quote the 10 commandments and the Sabbath is one of them, but really it's often just disregarded. Health flows from rest. There's so much I could speak into this, but we need to learn how to rest in all three facets. Um, Consistent activity is the characteristic of our age. And I don't know about you, but for me, I actually can feel like if I'm not on the brink of exhaustion, I feel borderline guilty. I feel like I need to be apologetic. I'm doing something wrong. 
Like if I was relaxing on a day off and my neighbor came over and saw that I was out there all day, I'd have to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know I've been out here all day relaxing. No, 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 you need to unplug physically, emotionally, spiritually. You need to get with the Lord and rest. God has made us this way. The more you rest, the more you can give when you go. You'll be more effective in ministry and in your life. So we need leisure, but avoid lethal leisure, which means in our culture, we have social media. It's amazing. Again, I'm just trying to be really just practical with you guys that doctors are coming out and figuring out what social media, going on our phones, what that actually does to us. We think we're resting for a few hours and say, I'm just gonna you know, decompress and go on, whatever it is. You are so mentally engaged. A lot of times you read things that can stir you up. Emotionally, you get engaged. You actually never unplug. And if you keep doing that, you will burn out. Television, this is crazy, guys. Do you know the average adult watches 20 to 30 hours of television a week? That's, think about what you could do at that time of really, like what could you do instead of that to really rest? Wow, what abundance of life would we experience in just that one small switch? Billy Graham, I mean, arguably, uh, you know, greatest evangelist shook the nations. He was asked, I read a quote from him. He was asked if he can go back and do anything different, what would he do? You know what he said? He said, I'd watch less TV. That's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, we just need to really learn how to protect and rest and, 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 uh, and guard ourselves. And so I think if you look at our current, church, our current church climate, I feel that if someone were to walk into the way church runs in the West, they could honestly, they would really be confused. I think they'd ask the question, is God pro-exhaustion? Because the way we live, you'd have to say, man, he just, he just wants you to go, 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 go. Is he, is he not the good shepherd that no longer leads us? to, to uh, go by still waters, to lie down in green pastures. Like some of us just need to let the good shepherd lead us to lie down. And then we can actually see how fast we've actually been moving and find rest for our souls. Is Jesus's yoke no longer easy? Is his burden no longer light? When I am emotionally and spiritually drained, one of the first things I look to do is silence and solitude. That's what I'll leave with, leave with you. There are many places you can go to try to unwind, but Jesus told his disciples when they had done so much kingdom activity, he said, come away with me and rest. Many places you can go for rest, but really it's coming away with Jesus where you find rest for your soul. Silence and solitude is not man's invention. Jesus taught us how to pray. It's actually God's invention. You need silence and solitude. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Go into your secret place. Go into the prayer closet. Shut the door. Get quiet. Still your soul. You need this daily so that you can live a life of, of fullness and abundance. And a lot of times when you get still before the Lord, David said often, I wait for the Lord in silence. It will reveal how fast you've actually been moving. I've had it where I'm moving so fast when I get before the Lord, you can feel it. It's like you stop outwardly and then inwardly you wanna like keep going and your mind is just racing, racing, racing. And I have to spend like, sometimes it's 10, 15, 20 minutes just to calm down and say, all right, the Lord's like, there you are. <laughs> And so if we don't do that daily, I mean, we, we don't realize we're moving so fast. And so we need to learn every day to come away with him. Amen. So again, I believe that this is a time to really reset our lives. I believe this is a season to really just consider uh, what things need to be chipped away, what things need to be you know, kept off so that we can be healthy. One, personally, and two, to live like Jesus lived, on mission every day. Um, so Contentment, simplicity, rest, and balance. Uh, those are things that you can go and, and uh, seek the Lord to go deeper in. So I'm gonna pray for you guys and we'll, uh, we'll close here. Thank you, Lord.
Lord, I pray for every person that is stirred by this, for every person that feels caught in that rut of going and going. Oh Lord, I pray that the things we've spoken about today would so move beyond a message. I pray they'd become realities in all of our lives. I pray, Lord, we really make shifts in our life that would allow us to live like you lived. I pray, Lord, that our eyes would be open to the abundant ministry that awaits us every single day. I pray we would see it. We'd be available to it. God, that we would be able to offer from an overflow. I pray, Lord, you'd get so personal with people right now and this week to highlight things that need to go. I pray you'd get so personal with with people about how their week needs to be rescheduled. I pray that people would really lean into Sabbath, Lord. I pray that we would be a body that learns to have silence and solitude with you every single day. Teach us, Lord, how to be content with whatever your hand gives us. Lord, we ask that we would not return back to old things if they were meant to die in this season. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening and being with us this morning. Uh, Again, stay tuned this week. We'll have really important updates of what we're gonna be doing as a church and as a house. And uh, we'll see you again next Sunday or at some point during the week. So love you guys. Have an awesome week.